So let's go to the Word of God. Why don't we stand today? Grab your Bible. Let's stand together. Who got their Bible? Let me see your Bible. Wave your Bible. Bring your Bible to church. See, we learned that lesson last week when we didn't have an overhead projector. See, we shouldn't be off the wall saints. Read the Bible out of your lab. It's good. It's, it's good to have the scriptures. I'm thankful we can put the scriptures up there. But uh, bring your Bible and mark it up. Bring some highlighters. Bring some pens. Bring a notebook. Study the Word of God. All right, Ephesians. I want to read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Thank God for His Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know that you may know what that, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable uh, incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Lord, we do. We thank you for your word. I pray that our eyes, the eyes of our heart, would be open to understand your word, that you would make it plain to us, Lord God, that everyone in this house would be enriched, encouraged, equipped, challenged, convicted, and compelled to go forward into the purpose of God. Father, I acknowledge the gift of the call upon every single life that is in this room today. For everyone that is watching us by live stream today, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would stir in us. Father, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be uh, enlightened. Father, that we would be able to see clearly the hope of the calling. And Lord, that rest in you because of your greatness. Because of the fact that you are a risen Savior. You have been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And you reign forevermore. And that is the center of the hope of our calling. And so we know that our calling is not uncertain, but it is sure. Because it is not rooted in us. It is rooted in you. You are at the center of your church. And you are establishing your kingdom. Father, I pray that we would be ambassadors, Lord God. That we would be faithful to go forward and do the work that you have called us to do. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. 
So he starts out by saying, for this reason. What, what's the reason? If you go back into the chapter and, and, and look, he gives some good, great reason. He says, first of all, that he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. God has chosen that we, his people, would be holy and blameless in his sight. He has predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. So these are the reasons that he's praying for us, that our eyes would be open, that we would understand the hope of our calling. Uh, that's, that's two things. And then thirdly, he says, God has freely given us grace. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the free gift of grace? Aren't you glad that you don't have to work to earn your salvation? All you have to do is throw your hands up and surrender, right? It's not about your goodness. It's not about your works. It's not about the deeds that you have done. We're, we, we don't uh, do, do works to be saved. We do the works because we have been saved, because we've received this free gift from God. Aren't you thankful for that? And then it says, uh, number, number four, that we have redemption uh, through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Are you glad that you're redeemed this morning? Are you glad that your sins have been forgiven? Aren't you glad that God doesn't bring it up like, uh, like I do and your friends do? <laughs> we, we bring up all your faults and all. Hey, you remember when you did that to me? You remember when you, you cussed me? You remember when you backstabbed me? We, we love to bring it up, but God has forgiven us. Amen. And he's put it into the sea of his, his forgetfulness. Aren't you glad that God doesn't remember your sins, that he has truly forgiven us of our sins and we have redemption through his blood? Amen. And, and then a fifth reason, and there's a couple more in here that we can include, but I'm just giving you some of the highlights. Uh, it's, in, it's in verse 9 of this chapter. He says, he, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, verse 10, to be put in a, into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so he says, uh, he's pointing back and said, another reason that I'm praying for you is because God has made known to us the mysterious things of his will. You think about that. The times to come. He has put those things into our heart and given us an understanding of his eternal purpose. And so he says, because of this, because we've received the free grace, because we have been redeemed uh, by his blood, because we have been forgiven of our sins, and God has made known to us the mysteries of his will. Because of these things, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your understanding would be opened, right? Uh, how many of you know what it is to have cataracts? Anybody in the room know what it is to have cataracts? See, the older that we get, the harder it becomes to see. I'm learning that really well. The older we get, the harder it becomes to see. What is a cataract? It's, it's, it's a film that forms over our, the lens of our eye, and uh, it, it, our, our vision, uh, the, the lens of our eye, is covered with this opaque. Instead of clear and transparent film, there's an opaqueness that, that forms over uh, our eye, and it begins to cloud our vision, and it makes it very difficult for us to see clearly. How many of you are thankful for LASIK today and for the miracle of new eyesight? How many of you know what it is to have your eyesight restored? I was thinking in, during worship uh, about that man. I think it's over in Mark chapter 8. He's a blind man that was brought to Jesus when he was in Bethsaida. And, and he was brought to Jesus to be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus spat in the mud and made a mud pie and stuck it in his eye. Uh, he was not the most conventional uh, of ministers at times. And that doesn't mean that we should be unconventional. Uh, man, if God's telling you to spit in mud and put it in somebody's eye, you better make sure that's the Holy Ghost and you're not off the wall. 
But this man's vision is, is partly restored, and Jesus asks him, how do you see? And he says, I see men walking as trees. And so the Bible says that Jesus again put his hand upon his eyes, and his, this man saw, he said, it says this, that he saw men clearly. Man, we need the hand of God to touch us, that we would see one another clearly. Man, we are so good at judging one another after the flesh. And I'm going to tell you what, there is nothing that will distort and taint the purposes of God in his body than us looking at each other and judging each other according to the flesh. Judge no man according to the flesh. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we could see our brother, our sister as God sees them is if we have the hope of the, the help of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul's, part of what, what Paul is praying, that, that God would come and clear up the cataracts from our eyes the distorted vision that we're experiencing, that we might see things as God sees things. Not only do we view our brothers through these tainted lenses, we also tend to see ourselves through these tainted lenses. We see the church of, uh, through a tainted lens. And, and we're going to see this as this message unfolds today, that there is a revelation of who we are, and there's a revelation of the, the church and its purpose on planet Earth, and the fact that Christ is at the center of it. And that, if, when we get that, he says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart would be understanding that you might know him. Because if we can get a revelation of him, the, the risen Lord, the, the exalted Lord, the reigning king, if we get the vision of that, it will bring us into a clear focus of the eternal purpose of God on planet earth that's being advanced through the church. The kingdom is being advanced through us, his people. And we need in the American church to be shaken to that reality. The kingdom of God is advancing. We are not on a retreat. We are not backpedaling. We are not uh, putting our defenses up, just kind of absorbing the blows. We are here to push back darkness, to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to advance the purpose of Jesus Christ. But the cataracts on our eyes has, has caused us, then the lack of perspective of the purposes of God have caused us to shrink back in, in, into some kind of a fearful, kind of like Saul. King Saul, I call it the paralysis under the pomegranate. God had given Saul a command to go in advance against the Philistines, to wipe them out. And he saw their, the mass of their army, and he trembled in fear. Him and his thousand troops, they shook in fear underneath a pomegranate tree, tree the Bible says, that they were afraid to go and take on that, that, that uh, Philistine army. But Saul's son, Jonathan, had heard the word of the Lord. And he and his armor bearer by themselves went and whooped the entire Philistine army. Oh, that God would give us vision like Jonathan, that we would see clearly the purposes of God. He has revealed to us the mystery of his will, and it is to advance his kingdom in this age and the age to come. We are here for the purposes of God. May God clear our understanding to truly understand what he's up to on planet Earth. Man, you got to love technology. My note device is trying to sell me something. How do I get out of here? It doesn't even give me, there it is, it's hidden. I'm sure I don't want it, thank you. I'm getting old. I'm getting old. I am 13 months away from 50. That's astounding to me. I feel 21 until I get out of bed. We're all getting older, right? And you know, the, the, the older we get, the harder headed that we get. And the more set in our ways we get. 
and the more resistant to change we become. We get to the point where we think you know it all. And us old people tend to miss out on the things of God. Historically, if you look through history, revival movements have historically been a phenomenon of youth. Because men get old and religious and set in their ways and so hard-hearted and blind to the purposes of God that God can no longer use them. Jesus said the kingdom belongs to who? The children. Matthew chapter 18, verse 34, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become... When I read that this morning, I actually wrote this out on a note card. Because I want that on my desk where I'm going to see it every day for the next season. So I wrote this verse out and I underlined the word change. Unless you change. Everybody say change. Put your hand on your, your head and say change me, Lord. Put your hand on your heart and say change me, Lord. Let's not get resistant. Let, let's not let the cataract set up. And taint our vision. May we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. May we hear the voice of God. Truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position. See, that takes humility. It takes humility. I'm in Matthew 18, verse 4. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. May we be children. May we become novices. It becomes very easy for us to fall back on our training. It becomes very easy for us to fall back on our experiences. We've done, it, we've, done outreach, we've done outreach this way for 50 years. We're going to keep doing it that way. We've done church this way for, you know, my grandpa, my great-grandfather sang these songs. We're going to keep singing. Uh, we're, we're going to keep doing discipleship this, the same old way, right? There's something my father-in-law taught me. He said, we need to ask God even in the obvious. Right? How, how do we handle our finances? How, how do we, you name it, ask God. Inquire of the Lord. How, how much of the decisions do we make in life, in our families, in the church? How, many, how much of our decision-making is, is, is prayerful and spirit-led? It's God directing us and ordering our steps. And how much of it is just instinctive off of what we know, off of what we've done in the past, off of the models that we've seen? We're copying what the church across the... Uh, and just because something fancy is working over there doesn't mean it's going to work over here. Right? We're to be a people who are led by the Spirit of God. We're to be a people who are teachable, who are seeking understanding, who are after wisdom, right? See, the older you are, the longer you've been walking with Jesus, the bigger problem this is going to be for you. We have to humble ourselves. Well, I'm the senior pastor. Humble yourself, right? I've been, I've got, I've been to college. I've got degrees. Humble yourself. I've got money in the bank. Humble yourself. I'm talented. Humble yourself. I, I can sing and I can play really well. Humble yourself. 
See, one thing we understand about the call of God is it's nothing. The greatness of the call and the purpose of God, the hope, this, the hope of this calling that's on the inside of us, it's nothing about your greatness. He says in the passage that we read in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23, it says that it's the immeasurable power of our God. It's not because you've been to seminary, and seminary is good. I don't discount that. I don't discount good study. I don't uh, discount the fact that you've been mentored. I don't discount the fact that you've, you've trained with expertise in, in technologies or in, in preaching or in uh, worship or singing or playing an, an instrument. I, I don't discount that. And, and listen, we need to, we do, we need to train in those things. We need to rightly divide the word of God. We need, if you're a musician, you need to master your, your, your uh, instrument. If you're a, a singer, you need to uh, get, get, get some voice lessons. Right? Back when I was in Bible college, I took voice lessons because they told me it would make me a better preacher. I don't know if it worked or not, but I believed them. So I don't discount that. I don't discount principles. I don't discount training. I don't discount discipleship. It's all important and vital, 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 vital. But if we're not careful, we begin to put a confidence in those things. And our ministries begin to be built upon us. They begin to be built upon our personality. It's not about you. It's not about me. You sing beautifully, but it ain't about you. Right? You're one of the best door greeters we've had, but it ain't about you. We haven't had problems with that media presentation since you took it over, but it ain't about you. We're grateful for you, but it ain't about you. Right? The hope of our calling is not rooted in who we are. It's not in how well we're trained we are, how gifted we are, how talented we are, how eloquently we speak. It's got to be rooted in Jesus. It's got to be rooted in Jesus. Everybody say the hope of your calling. We, we, we defined hope a couple of weeks ago. I love this definition. Hope is the stubborn, unrelenting determination to not allow the hardships of life to downsize the bigness of God. How many of you recognize you have a ministry? How many of you have recognized when, whenever you're serving God in ministry, it's never easy? How many of you have been frustrated in ministry? How many of you have been discouraged in, in ministry? How many of you have dis- experienced setbacks in ministry? Right? We all have. And, and if we're not careful, that will relegate us to the pew. God had never intended for us to be pew sitters. A, a, a lot of our frustration is because leadership in church would not equip and empower us to do what God was calling us to do. Part of that is the preacher's fault and part of that was your fault. Part of that may have been the, the preacher's inability, a lack of understanding of how to train and equip and, 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 and empower people, a lack of recognition that it was time to release you into what God was calling. It might have been that, but a good part of that, we have to put right back on ourselves. We didn't take the training serious. We slacked off in our prayer time. Our devotion to God hadn't been what it was supposed to be. When the opportunity that God had for us opened up, we weren't ready for it. Success is when preparation meets opportunity. When God opens the door for you, are you going to be ready? Right? That's what the Bible is talking about, being instant, in season, out. We ought to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. There's preparation, constant preparation. 
I'm constantly trying to learn. I'm constantly trying to grow. I'm, trying, I'm constantly trying to find the heart of God. I'm trying to constantly get the revelation of who God is and what his purpose is and what he's trying to work on me. Constantly, after, we have to stay that way. We have to position ourselves as, as disciples, students. That's, that's literally what the word disciple means, that we are students, we are pupils. I had a, a lady that I pastored down in Texas, and she got offended that I said she was a disciple. She could not, she was a prophetess, not a disciple. She was offended by it. And I watched a hard fall that that lady experienced. Right? Don't get lifted up. We can't get lifted up. We have to stay humble. We all, we, we all need to hear this. I need to hear this talk this morning. How about you? I need to hear it. You need to hear it. We all need to hear it. It's not about us. We have a great hope for our calling. We have a great hope for our calling. The Apostle Paul talks about that. What is it rooted in? What is the hope of our calling rooted in? I, I want to go back and let, let's read some verses in verse 20 through 23. Let, let, let's, see, let's go back even further than that. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And there, there's two other things, and we're not going to dig into those. I'm just talking about the hope of our calling today. He talks about the riches of the glorious inheritance. Is that our inheritance in Christ or Christ's inheritance in us? There's debate on that when it comes to this particular text. It doesn't really matter to me. We have an inheritance. Then, then he, he talks about the fact that uh, in, in verse 19, it says, in, incomparably great power for us who believe. And I, I love that word, uncomparably. The uncomparably great power of our God. The, the Greek word is hyperbolo. Or hyperbolu. I don't know how to speak Greek. One of those. That's the transliteration of it. Herpubolu. It's where we get our word hy hy hyperbole. You know what hyperbole means? It means to overstate something. When you speak in hyperbole, you are overstating something. Well, listen, when we talk about the power of God, we cannot overstate it. This, this Greek word means to, to exceed, to surpass, to uh, excel. It's the exceeding great power of God. It's the surpassing power of God. It's the uncomparable, immeasurable power of God. I don't think there's any greater display of that than Jesus' statement. All power and authority has been given to me. Any wisdom that Gandhi might have espoused on planet Earth pales in comparison. Gandhi couldn't make the statement and say, all power and authority has been given to me. Buddha couldn't make a statement that says all power and authority has been given unto me. Muhammad couldn't make a statement and say all power and authority has been given unto me. Jesus made the statement, all power, the immeasurable, exceeding, excelling power of God has been given to me. And you know how that's been put on display? He, 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 Paul begins to, he goes on and he expounds to this. He exerted this power when he raised Christ 
from the dead, verse 20, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. That's the power that we're talking about. It's the the power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father. It's interesting that that this this resurrection, when you study in, in in the New Testament, resurrection and exaltation, they're usually mentioned together in the same breath. It's one sweeping statement. God resurrected and exalted him to the right hand of the Father. It's one thing that we see him as resurrected. It's another thing. When we get this revelation that God has exalted him, what does that mean to us? You know what it means that God has exalted Christ? It it, it is a display for us that the Father has fully accepted the Son and what he's done for us. The fact that Christ has exalted the right hand of the Father, it's the full acceptance of the Father, of the work of the Son. That's what's on display in these statements when it says that he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. It's the acceptance of what Christ did for us on the cross. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession on our behalf. That's the power of God. That's the power of God. And then he goes on and he says he rules and reigns supreme over everything. That's the power of God. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, exalted him to his right hand, and has caused him to rule and reign forevermore is the same exceeding great power that's at work on the inside of us. Why do we doubt the call of God? Why do we doubt that if if God whispers in our ear, go and witness to that person, that why do we tremble? Why why do we worry when God says, give some money to that guy, he's in need and his family could use it, go go and write him a check, give him $100, whatever the Holy Spirit puts in our heart. Why is it that we shrink back and doubt that we're able to do what God's telling us to do? Whatever it is, start start a mission, build a ministry, whatever it is God's calling you to do. Why is it that we doubt ourselves? It's really ultimately because we begin to look at ourselves. Paul shifts in this passage the focus of our call from self to Christ. We have to do the exact thing. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would get your eyes off of yourself, that those old cataracts would be blown away. I brought my laser and I'm going to perform a spiritual, I want God to perform spiritual LASIK surgery on you today that you might see the hope of your calling that is in the resurrection and the ascension and the dominion of our King and Savior. That is the hope of our calling. Why do we doubt ourselves? Why do we downgrade the strength of the church? Why do we belittle the purpose of the church on planet Earth? Why don't we realize the great plan and purpose that God has for us in this planet? Again, I say to you this morning, we need a better, uh, a, a better and more hopeful outlook on eschatology. We're not holding on, hoping we make it until Christ returns. No, we are here with purpose. We are sent as ambassadors. As my Father sent me, even so I send you. All power and authority has been given 
unto me. And I'm sending you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Will we experience hardship? Yes. Is there animosity towards the kingdom of God? Yes. Will we be persecuted? Absolutely. Will we have to endure some things? We will. Might we lose our head? Possibly. You look at all of the, the, the eons of, of, of church history, the last 2,000 years of church history, and how many men have died for the gospel. But those men died because of the hope of their calling. See, the hope of the calling will, will cause you to live free. You won't be like Saul in paralysis on some, under some pomegranate tree. You'll live like Jonathan. When Jonathan stepped out onto that battlefield, he was not choosing how he was going to die. He was rather choosing how he would live. See, when we understand the hope of our calling, it's in the resurrection, it's in the exaltation and the dominion of our God, King, and Savior. When we realize that, we become courageous. We don't become arrogant. We don't become flippant. But we we become courageous. We become as bold as lions. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We have nothing to be ashamed. We have nothing to fear because the power that raised Jesus from the dead exalted him to the right hand of the Father and is causing him to reign with dominion is working in us. What what do we have to be afraid of? Isn't that awesome? That's some good news. That's some good news. Let let, let me go back. I was talking about how we get old. I want to tie this scripture in Galatians to that. We, we get old, we get stubborn, we, we get set in our ways. Man, I don't want to be a 70-year-old stick in the mud. I'm making a commitment and a pledge. My son Noah is sitting back, 19, 18-year-old young man back there. Son, when you're leading in the church and God's speaking to you, I refuse to be the stick in the mud that says, I don't like this. I don't get it. Why do we have to do it this way? I ain't going there. I ain't going there. I love, it's when Dr. Richard Hilton, he was here a few months back and, and ministered back in September. I love, he, he, he was, uh, uh, let's see, he was 58 years old. The church was very successful. They had about 1,000 in their church membership. And he, he was mentoring his son, Robbie. And uh, they had a 10-year plan. And so he was planning at 68 years old to turn the ch- church over to Pastor. He's 68 today. He had a 10-year plan to turn the church over to his son. And he was praying one day and the Holy Spirit said, how many more of Robbie's years do you want? I've called him to be the pastor of this church. And within a year, he had transitioned everything over to Pastor Robbie. They're running four and 5,000 people every Sunday right now. It's because a man had a, enough sight enough of a spiritual ear to be able to hear the voice of God and get out of the way when God was saying, step back. That's the kind of leader I want to be. I don't want to be 75 and there's three people left because I've run the church in the ground, not listening and hearing the heart of God. Well, you want an acoustic guitar in here? No, I want my organ. People leave in churches over organs and new carpet and well, they got coffee in the foyer. Ah. So what? There's 10,000 young people in the foyer that weren't there before they had the coffee. So what? Right? I don't want to be that guy. 
You want to be that guy? That's quiet. I would have hoped for a couple no's. Thank you, Scotty. <laughs> the, the last concept. Here's the, here's the last concept I want to talk about. It's in this passage. I, I was seeing this and not knowing how to express this. I was, I've been meditating on this passage all week long. I was seeing this concept and I didn't know how to express this. In, in this passage, the church is at the center. The church is at the center. And, and here's the case that I want to make. We, we have diminished the power and authority of the church. We have relegated the church to a Sunday morning experience. And God's called us to be an ecclesia. To be called out ones in a, in a society, in a community, advancing the kingdom of God. Executing the judgments of God. Establishing righteousness everywhere that we go. Right? We got a lot of rules and regulations on Sunday morning, but we ain't pushing much in society. We, we've lost power and authority, right? You will be witnesses at church on Sunday, right? No, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. God's given us an authority to impact society. And, and I'm not uh, recommending or prescribing to that we're going we're gonna, to, one day that all cultures are going to be Christian. I don't think that's happening until Christ's return. But we are here to be ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? They represent their king. They stand on the ordinances, the commands, the edicts, the prescriptions of their leader. They go into foreign countries and they advocate for their king. They work to see the will of their king established in other nations. That's what ambassadors do. That's why we're here on planet Earth. That is why we're here. So look at, at verse 22. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not just return church. This is a local family, a local church family, a local assembly of believers. But there's a greater body. I'm thankful for wonderful men and women of God all over this, this, this town and this community, all over the United States, all around the world. If they name the name of Jesus and they believe the inerrancy of Scripture and they're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, they are our brothers. Whether they call themselves Presbyterians, whatever, doesn't matter. We're the church. And Jesus is the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. I'm not the head of Return Church. Jesus is the head of Return Church. I'm an under-shepherd, right? Except the Lord builds a house, they who labor, labor in vain. He is the, the great architect and general contractor. I'm just a carpenter. Nail a stud here. Hang sheetrock there. That's our role. He's the head. And, and, and go back and look at the wording of this. Everything's been put under his feet. He's been appointed to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness, we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So as I was meditating on this, I was seeing something and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to get the words out. I, didn't, I couldn't figure out to, how to explain 
what I was seeing. And, and, and I, I was going through different translations of the Bible. Just, just hey, is, this, is what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing in my spirit, is this consistent with what the Word of God is really saying here? And I went to the message. And listen, we need to understand this. There are, there are translations, Bible translations, and their interpretations. New King James, New American Standard, NIV, the King James, those are translations. And, and the point of a translation is to try to take the original language and bring that into clarity. Whereas an interpretation, it, it's trying to take what the, what the writer thinks God's word is saying and make it relevant to the culture. Does that make sense? So interpretation starts with scripture in mind. Uh, translation starts with, 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 with the original language of scripture in mind. Whereas these interpretations have more in mind culture. How, how can I make what God's trying to say more clear to the culture? So we, we need to know the difference and we need to be careful about that when we study the word of God. Okay, if you need more clarity on that, I would love to sit down with you and explain some of that. What are some reliable uh, uh, translations of the Bible that you should study from? I would be more than happy to. Don't, don't build doctrine off of the message Bible. Okay, don't build doctrine off the passage, the, the Passion Translation. You should build doctrine with something like a New King James, New American Standard, something that is more accurately a translation where they tried to accurately see what God was saying in the original language and communicate that. Okay, that's where you, you want to dig in. And then you need to learn how to study Greek and all that kind of stuff so you can really dig and, and find understanding. But I, I want to read this passage because it, it really did help to communicate what I was seeing in the scripture. So I want to read the passage that we started reading this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. That's why, in verse 15, when I heard, and I think they have it to put up. Yes, they do. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank, I ask. I ask God, I ask the God of your, our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is that he is calling you to do. To grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, that the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, the endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from, the death, from, from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power is exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, look at this, at the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. 
The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. That is powerful. The church is not peripheral. It is at the center. The world is not the center. God, may you open our eyes to understand that reality. Oh, for a church whose worldview would be shaped by the good news instead of the bad news. Why do we spend more time on CNN and Fox and MSN and whatever other news outlet you choose, social media? Why do we allow that to shape our view? Why do we view the world as the sinner? It's a reality. Most Christians believe that the church is peripheral, that we're just kind of out here on the outside of culture and the world is in control and we're just here along for the ride until Jesus comes back. No. From heaven's perspective, Christ has all authority and his name is above every name. His government is above every institution. The government of Jesus is above China, the United States, the United Nations. You name a government body, and Christ reigns supreme. The name of Jesus is greater than President Xi, or President Biden, or President Trump, or Ron DeSantis, or Kamala, or Michelle Obama, or whoever they roll out. Christ is king. He rules with supremacy. And we are his ambassadors. We are his agents. They may tell you that you have to accept gay marriage or that killing babies is fine or whatever they want to cram on us. We don't have to bite it. We don't have to buy it. We don't have to submit to it. We are here to establish the government of God. And I would rather obey God than obey men. I will not obey any institution, any government, any person that tries to submit the will of our enemy upon me. I am here as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, and everywhere that I go, it is to establish the kingdom of God. In this church, in my family, in my business interactions, everywhere that I, I would, you hear this all the time, I would never do business with a brother in the church. You hear that? Because they'll, they, they'll backbite you, they'll stab you. Why? Why is that people's outlooks? Who better to do business with than another brother? And if they wrong you, if they disappoint you, if they rip you off or take advantage of you, do what Jesus said, forgive them and move on. Forgive the debt, wipe it clean and move on. Right? We're here to execute the ordinances of God, to see his righteousness established on planet Earth, to see his government advance in this planet. Amen? We view the government as supreme in our mindsets, and it's not. Now, I'm not here at all prescribing that we would exercise anarchy or rebellion or that we would not submit to any government. We are commanded to, be, to obey every government until they violate the word of God, the person of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. When they cross that line, put me in jail. 
As Christians, that should be our attitude. Right? You're not acting righteously. Well, the government has no control of me. I'm uh, no authorities. So I know it says 70 miles an hour, but I'm going to drive 85. It's the laws of the land. Right? Pastor Hal Santos, he tells me almost every time I see him, I've never had a speeding ticket because I've never sped. He takes righteousness seriously. Right? Think about it. Think about it. I, I want to I wrap up with a story. I had the opportunity to sit down in front of a friend of mine. His name is Doug Pittman. Doug is a missionary. And God's called him to Eastern Europe. Since the war broke out in the Ukraine, he's been into the Ukraine six times. Right into the, the forefront of the, the conflict. He was, he was telling about the situation. He, he's waking up, uh, getting ready to go. They had a truck that, that, that he'd raised money to purchase, the truckload of supplies, and there, this, this city had just been bombed uh, by the Russians, and they were going to go in there, and they were going to feed everybody there, and they were going to preach the gospel of Jesus. They got up in the morning. They put their, their, uh, their uh, uh, body armor on. They put their helmet on. He said, I hated going in there. I didn't want to look like a militant. Uh, I wanted to go in there as an ambassador of Jesus. The commander saying, if you don't put this stuff on, we're not going to let you go. And they made us turn our cell phones off and said, if you put your cell phone to your ear, the snipers will probably take you out. So keep your cell phones off. They get in this van and they drive their three miles from here to, to Louisville, from the Russian border. And the Russians are shooting from Russia right over their heads into the, uh, the, the, the strongholds of uh, the Ukrainian army. They're shooting these missiles right over their heads from Russia. And they're driving down this road on the way to this village. And they get to this bridge that has been blown up by the Russians. And he's, he said, I was angry. You know, God, God called me to go into this village. He gave us this assignment. We knew we were supposed to be there. And he was upset. He was upset about all kinds of stuff. And he said, before he got into that truck... Before he got into that truck, the commander, it was a Ukrainian commander that was with him, uh, escorting him. And uh, before he got into that truck, the Ukrainian commander asked him, are you scared? And he said, no, I'm not scared because I've got a word from God. That morning, the Holy Spirit woke Doug up and, and this is what he said. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or, or, or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who is with you. He will not leave you. Or forsake you. Word for word. Those are the words that, that he heard. And he, and he said, I, I had to check. Is that, is that scripture? It's, it almost sounds like Jesus' words. But is that scripture? And he said, I, I googled it. And it popped up. And it was word for word. Deuteronomy 31 and 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Or in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So when the commander asked him, are you afraid? He said, no, I'm not afraid. I've got a word from God. How many of you know when God wakes you up, there's a hope of a calling? Amen? As they weaved through roads trying to find their way to get to this village, they ended up on uh, some trenches. And there were Ukrainian soldiers in these trenches, and they were, they, they were in fear because the Russians, the word had gotten around that the Russians had gotten Ukrainian uh, uniforms, and they were coming in disguised as, as Ukrainians, and they were cutting the throats of these uh, Ukrainian soldiers in, in the trenches. 
And they come upon them, and they begin, they, 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 this, this particular group, they were completely out of supplies, completely out of food, so they begin to open the doors on their truck and begin to feed these men. And, and Doug said he stood up there with an interpreter, and he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Twenty soldiers responded and gave their life to the Lord. Amen. He said they were, they were finally able to weave their way through and get, their, get themselves into this town. And there were uh, large numbers of, of people that were gathered. They had just uh, been hit the day before. He said the buildings were still smoldering from the missile attacks. And uh, there, there's a woman out on the streets that he sees and she's looking up. And he begins to look up like, is there a missile coming or the plane? What's, what's going on here? He begins to look up and then he realizes she's looking at what was her apartment that had been blown apart. He found out later through an interpreter that, that her husband was in that apartment the day before when the missile strike came and he was killed in that missile strike. She's just standing there in a trance, looking up at this apartment. He goes over beside her, doesn't, doesn't know how to speak the language, and he said, Lord, what, what do I do? What do I do? And the scripture came into his mind, he touched them. The scripture of Jesus, he touched them. And he said, the Holy Spirit said, just touch her. He said he put his hand up on her shoulder and she collapsed and began to weep. And he began to pray in the Holy Spirit. And he said within about three minutes, that woman stood up and her countenance had been transformed and she began to smile. He found out later through the interpreter. She said that God had revealed himself to her in that moment, that he was with her. What's the point? What I'm talking about when we realize who it is who has appointed us to our calling, we will live without fear. We will live without doubt. We'll live without worry. There will be a confidence. There will be a boldness. Rachel, can you come help me out? Here's what I want to do. I want us to end this service, worshiping our exalted, our resurrected, exalted, and reigning king. I got news for you. The back of the book hasn't changed. You read it 30 years ago and it said we win. And guess what? If you turn back there again today, it still says we win. We're not losing. Our God has never suffered a defeat. Our God has never lost a battle. Amen? Our God is victorious. Our God is a God who causes us to triumph in all things. Church, hold your head up. Not because of you. Not because you've got it all together. Not because you're polished. Not because you're intelligent. Not because you're, uh, you're good looking. Not because you can speak well. Not because of your education. Not because of how much money you've got at the bank. But because of your Savior your God, and your King. Lift your head up. Square your shoulders. Get up and go and do whatever it is he's telling you to do. Maybe he's telling you to go to the supermarket and witness. Maybe he's telling you to go to the school board and preach. Maybe he's telling you to run for an office. I don't dismiss the importance of our role in politics. We need to get engaged. We need to send Christians into political offices. We need to vote. We need to be engaged. But that is not our hope. Regardless of whatever moves in the earth for governments, politics, economies, 
Jesus is above it all. And our purpose, even if you are into politics, even if you are, God puts you into politics, you have a greater purpose and the greater battle. You're not there to fight with, with Democrats or Republicans or representatives or senators. You are there. There is a battle in a, 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 a spiritual realm. And that is where the real conflict is at. The other political party is not your enemy. They are the victims of your enemy. The witch or warlock is not your enemy. They are the victims of your enemy. The drug dealer is not our enemy. The gangbanger is not our enemy. Whoever it is, those are not our enemies. They are the victims of our enemy. And our God has called us to them. We are ambassadors to light. Amen? We're chosen people. Right? A royal priesthood. A, a peculiar people. A chosen generation, I should say. A holy nation. Called out of darkness. We've been called out of the world. Out of the peripheral. Into the church. Into the center. That we would show forth his praise. Amen? That's what preaching is. You know that preaching is it's the proclamation of the greatness of God and his kingdom. That's what really good preaching is. Sometimes I beat around on other things. And I'm like, man, that was horrible. I feel really good about today's message, not because I preach well, but because I made much of Jesus and his kingdom. Our worship and our preaching and our witness and our testimony is that. Right? That, that's what God has appointed us to do. Not argue, not criticize, not protest. Stand and declare that our God is resurrected. He's exalted to the right hand of the Father and he reigns. Come into his kingdom. Come, come, come and experience the goodness of our God. Come and be set free. Come, come and taste and see that the Lord, he is good. It's our job assignment. Don't scream and yell at him, you nasty Democrat, you nasty Republican, you nasty Senator, you nasty. <coughs> what are we doing? We've lost our minds. The cataract is fully covered our brain. Come on. I pray that the Lord will open the eyes of of our heart. You know, you see with your heart. Is it cloudy or is it clear? Let's stand together. Let's exalt King Jesus. Pick any of the songs you sang this morning, Rachel, and let's exalt King Jesus. Here.